just uh, qu one quick announcement. Next week we're going to have a, 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 work, a work day here at the church. That's June 1st. What time is it? Are we doing a breakfast or no? going to be a breakfast in the morning. Starts at 9.30 and then, and then we're going to do some, some work around the, the, the grounds. 8.30, I'm sorry. Uh, and then we're going to do some work around the grounds after that. So if you're, if you're freed up and you feel led to be here, we'd love to have you. Um, these announcements are out at, the, out at the desk, so grab some. We are in Exodus chapter 39. <clears throat> Exodus chapter 39. Uh, and, of course, we are continuing on uh, through the construction of the tabernacle. And now we're getting into the garments of the high priest. Oh, which, if you guys came when you first came in, you may have seen them up here. Um, so chapter 39 of Exodus begins, Of the blue, purple, and scarlet thread they made garments of ministry for ministering in the holy place and made the holy garments for Aaron as the Lord had commanded Moses. He made the ephod of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread and of fine woven linen. And they beat the gold into thin sheets and cut it into threads to work it in with the blue, purple, and scarlet thread and the fine linen into artistic designs. I mean, have you ever thought about just the craftsmanship? You know, it talks about before when Moses begins to, uh, God gives him the instruction for the, for the articles of the temple and tabernacle and then the, the priestly garments. And it says that God gave these craftsmen abilities. He gave them gifts and abilities to do this work that he was calling them to do. Uh, you know, and of course, immediately that brings to mind that if you ever heard the old adage where God guides, he provides, uh, and it's true. It's true. You know, if God wants to accomplish something in us or through us, or God wants to do something in us or through us, what he needs from us is a willing heart and a willing spirit and an attitude of that. Hey, Lord, wherever you lead, I'll go. And he's the one that's going to supply the ability. He's the one that's going to give us that, um, it was kind of cool. Last night we we uh, we went to uh, FCA, went to Broom Tioga Racetrack down in Binghamton uh, for it wasn't a motocross event. It was actually an off road. It's the off road series where they kind of go through the woods. It's like a rather than being like a 15 minute race, it's a two hour race. Uh, they go through the woods and they go some parts on the track and they range all over the place. And last week um, a, a young man, nine years old, died. Uh, at one of the at one of the events, he it was just a freak accident. He went off the track and hit a tree, and he was gone. Uh, so they called us this week and like, can you guys please come down this Saturday? We're going to do a memorial for Jagger, and and we really would, would like the FCA to be there. And can you speak to the people and stuff like that? What do you say? You know what I mean? You want to talk about the Lord leading? It's just like when somebody calls you and asks you, will you come in this room? Oh, you know what? I'm really busy this this weekend. I don't think I'm going to be. Yes, absolutely, we'll be there. Um, and, you know, funerals are horrible. You know, anything to do with death, is, it's never pleasant. It, never, it just feels like something's not right, doesn't it? It's just, there's no way to feel, to feel normal or comfortable or, or you know, at a, at a funeral. I mean, for those who have gone on in Christ, you know, and have lived, you know, to be in their 80s and 90s and have gone on to be with Christ, there is an ad, a, a, a part of that that is celebratory. Uh, but it's still just, it's never fun, you know? And when it's a kid, it's horrible. You know, it's just awful. And I did not want to be there. You know what I mean? I like to come here and I like to preach to people who are here to hear me preach. And we, you know, we want to get a lesson from the Word of God. And, um, you know, going into a group of people, I don't know anybody. And, and I don't, didn't know Jagger. 
And yet they're saying, can you please come and minister to us? So it's like, yeah, you know, of course. And so, but you, I can tell you, it's not like, you know, you go into these situations and circumstances and the power of the Lord was coursing through me and I just always knew exactly what to say and what to do. It's so often not that. You know, every once in a while there is something of that in the feeling when God is speaking through you or something. But, but so often, isn't it just going through this life, it just seems like life. There doesn't seem to be anything supernatural or miraculous about it. And yet if God has called us to go and if God has called us to do it, then, then he's there. And there's a work that's being done and maybe a work that we never see the fruit of even. But if God's called us to do the thing, then it's right and proper for us to do it. And, and, and it's one of those things in our Christian lives where we can't go by how we feel, can we? Can you imagine if we only ever ministered according to how we felt? You know what I mean? Boy, tough, tough deal for the poor people who aren't saved. Uh, so, man, I can tell you it was, it, was, it was beautiful and the people were so receptive and... I was put into some tough situations. I mean, the guy that runs the race series, I mean, people were threatening his life. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a mixed bag, <laughs> you know, and there's hundreds and hundreds of people uh, that, there. And so you've got some people who will just understand and get it. And then there's people who are looking to assign blame. It is just a messy, messy situation. Uh, and here we are in, in the midst of it and just speaking. And when we did the service at night, uh, I mean, literally, you know, usually at the motocross track, when we go there to do a, 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 a Bible teaching or a service, you know, if 20 people show up, we're like, oh, it's pretty good, you know. There's like 200 people that came around to, to hear uh, the good news uh, and to talk about heaven and to talk about the Lord and that he is seeking after your heart. Uh, and it was a beautiful thing, but I can tell you, it was kind of like I didn't have any sense as to whether my, my teaching stunk, you know, or was great, or, or whatever the case may be, I just felt like this is where God wants me to be, and I'm going through the motions here. It really is what it felt like to me. Uh, and, and, and after there were some good comments, where it was like, okay, well, the, you know, the Lord, was, the Lord wanted, wanted us to be here. But, but, you know, here again are craftsmen and artisans, and where did they learn their trade? In bondage, in slavery, in Egypt, at the, at the, at the end of the whip is where they learned to weave is where they learned to hammer gold, is where they learned construction techniques. Uh, and so, and so, and rigorously, because we all know just from, his, from history how Egypt is, right? The historical artifacts of Egypt and the civilization of Egypt was amazing. Amazing, the technology that they had. We don't still know, have any idea how they built the pyramids, you know, we could, we could maybe do that with modern technology, but, I don't, but everything that I've ever seen or read, they don't have any idea how they were able to do that. You know, and you wonder how much of that was, you know, well, they, the Jewish people were there for 400 years and God was preparing them for something. In the most adverse and terrible of circumstances, God was preparing them to do literally, we talk about doing God's work, literally God's work. And they had no idea that they were being prepared to construct and to weave together and to create these articles, literally, that were representations of what was in glory at the throne of God and in the temple that's in heaven, that God was going to ask them to create earthly manifestations of that so that the people could rightly worship God through the tabernacle, through the articles of worship, and through the sacrificial system. And, but can you imagine just, just when, it, when I when just reading, they beat the gold into thin sheets and cut it into threads. 
Have you ever heard of anything like that? I mean, like, how do you go about doing that? Here's a chunk of gold. Make thread. Are you kidding me? You know what I'm saying? Like, how do you hammer that? How do you do that? Think of the craftsmanship. Think of the intricacy that went along into this. And, and, and when we get to the point where everything's done and Moses sees what they've constructed and sees what they've built and sees what they've woven together, he blesses them. He blesses them because what they did, not only was it fine and not only was it with, 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 with just meticulous detail, but they had done it most importantly, most importantly, they had done it exactly the way God had said to do it. And again, that speaks to us to the fact that God doesn't need Frank Thomas-flavored ministry, right? He doesn't need Frank Thomas this. He just needs a willing heart, and there needs to be a calling, and that's what needs to happen. And we need to do it exactly the way God has called us to do it, the way that God's Word lays it out to do it. Um, you know, we're going to get into later, uh, you know, some, some, some of Aaron's sons that offered unauthorized fire. They, they put their own flavor into the incense that was going to be offered before God. And the fire of God comes out of the, t- of the holy place and consumes them. Imagine. This is before grace. And one of the things that we're to know and to learn and to understand as we go through the law is the severity of it. The power of God's holiness. The power of God's righteousness. And the power of God's judgment that no one can stand before him. No one can stand before him. And so everything had to be done just so. And the sacrifices had to be just so. So that the worshiper was able, for just a short time, until they blew it again by sinning, for just a short time were able to enter into worship. And think of what was accomplished at the cross when Jesus Christ, and the Bible says, all of the handwriting of the requirements of the law, which Paul says were contrary to us, has been wiped out. And now, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, all of that severity and all of that power that caused the people to tremble at the foot of the mountain and caused the people to say, you speak to God, Moses, but we're going to stay over here. And caused them to see Moses' face radiating with the glory of God and to ask that he would cover his face. Because even the glory of God radiating from a man was too much to bear. And all of that through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for you and I, gone. Only the freedom to enter into the holy place. To come just as we are with the week that we had. Right? With that day that you had this. Remember that day you had this week? Remember that hour you had this week? Remember that thought you had this week that condemns you? What thought? What action? Because in Jesus Christ, all of that is wiped away by the blood of the Lamb. And to come before Him, all we have to do is be willing. That's, that's it. Is to just come before Him and say, Just as I am, without one plea, but that Thy blood was shed for me. That old hymn, power. Just as I am. That was always the altar call song back in the day. Just as I am without my plane. You know. But the, 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 the picture of it there is it doesn't matter what your week looked like. It doesn't matter the things that you've done or where you've been. What matters is today. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. 
And even as believers in Jesus Christ who have been redeemed, remember Jesus uh, before the Passover when he's washing the disciples' feet and Peter says, you'll never wash my feet. You're too good to wash my feet. And Jesus says, unless I wash your feet, you can have no part in this ministry. Peter says, give me a bath then. Now, Peter, Peter, you know. And Jesus says, a man who's had a bath does not need to be bathed again, but his feet need to be washed in other words, to be in the ministry of Jesus Christ, to be a worker in this, in this commission that God has given us, we don't have to be saved over and over and over again. Jesus doesn't have to be sacrificed over and over and over again. He died once, the Bible says, for all. But we need our feet washed. We need our feet washed. And how did Jesus wash the feet of the disciples? With a sand blaster? Right? With a blowtorch and a chisel? You know how the master washed their feet gently, with pure water. And the Bible compares itself when it talks about husbands loving your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And it says, washing her with the water of the word. Christian, that's how we keep our feet washed. That's how we keep our feet washed in the faith, is through the word of God, by coming and studying it together. And allowing God to come into our lives and to show us the things. Maybe the things that we know of, but also maybe things that we don't know and allow him to cleanse those things in our lives. So they beat the gold into thin sheets and cut it into threads to work it in with the blue, purple, and scarlet thread and the fine linen into artistic designs. Now, the, the colors that we have here, we have gold, we have blue, we have purple, uh, and we have scarlet. Now, I, 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 wrote a, I wrote a verse down and I can't find it now. Here it is. Uh, Numbers uh, chapter 15. Numbers chapter 15, verses 38 to 41. Uh, speak to the children of Israel. Tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations. And, and if you ever wonder, why would God, why on earth would God be interested in tassels? You know what I mean? I, every time I drive my daughter's car, she's got her graduation tassel. It just annoys me. Get that out of my face. Get that out of, you know. Uh, t- you know, the tassel. What, why is God interested in a tassel? Who cares about a tassel? You know, but always with, the, with God and with his commandments and what he says in his word. You know, and, and remember when Jesus would talk to the religious people, he would say, all of these things, you think it's about the thing itself. You think it's about some outward manifestation about washing of hands or eating in a ceremonial way. But what God is really trying to teach you and what really God is trying to expose is your heart. Rend your hearts, not your garments. It's not your hands, literally, that need to be washed. It's your heart. And this is what Jesus was always seeking to teach the religious people. Um, but, but speak to the children of Israel. Tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a blue thread in the tassels of the corners. And you shall have the tassel that you may look upon it. Here's the point, And remember all of the commandments of the Lord and do them. Uh, that you may not follow the harlotry of which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined, and that you may remember and do all of my commandments and be holy for your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. And so always throughout their generations, there was to be this tassel with a blue thread that whenever that they would look upon it, they would say to themselves, they would be reminded, not my will, but yours be done. 
Not my will, but yours be done. It's not about what I want to do. Notice what God says to Moses, that you may not follow the harlotry of which your own, well, jeepers. Is, is, why, is, why is my way has got to be harlotry? You know what I mean? Why do I got to always be a harlot? <laughs> and God's like, well, I don't know. Why do you always have to be a harlot? You know, when we talk about spiritual harlotry, what we're talking about is being unfaithful to our husband. What we're talking about is Christ has purchased us, and he is our spiritual bridegroom. We are his spiritual bride, and we are to be true and, honor and honorable and faithful to him. And so there's this reminder to the children of Israel, B.C., before Christ, concerning the commandments of God, to always remember, it's not about me following the inclinations of my own heart. It's not about me doing it the way I want to do it. It's about what has God commanded. And to always come back to that. Why do they have to have something that they can look at and remember? So that when they're off course and they're doing what they're not supposed to do, they can see that and remember and go, oh yeah, better get back on course. So there's this, 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 this blue that's woven into this. Now gold, as we know, represents purity. Gold represents purity. It's a precious metal. It's the, it's the, it's the, it's the, uh, the precious metal. It's a kingly metal. It's, a, it's still to this day, right? I mean, think about thousands of years later, if somebody says to you, hey, you want some gold? What's your answer? <laughs> yeah. Gold is still gold. Gold has always been gold, and gold, has al- and all- gold always will be gold. And the more pure the gold, right? the higher the value. That's why it's 14 karat gold and this karat gold and this karat gold. Now, interestingly enough, in Revelation chapter 28, when the new Jerusalem comes down uh, onto the, the, the new heavens and the new earth, it says in Revelation 21:18, the construction of its wall was of jasper and the city, the city was pure gold like clear glass. So the, you know what gold looks like, right? It it ain't glass, but a gold that is so pure, that is purified so perfectly that it's like glass. What matter? It's a gold we can't comprehend. But this is the gold representing the purity of the new Jerusalem, the purity of the holiness of God, and it's woven into the fabric of the priesthood along with the blue, representing the commandments. Then we have the purple threads. Now, the purple threads, or the color purple, was a color of royalty. It was a color of kingship or of royalty. Uh, Now, in Jesus' day, do you guys have ever heard the story of where the purple came from, the purple dye? It came from a crustacean, like a snail. Okay, and you've seen a snail, right? I mean, there's no giant, you know, a snail... It was a crustacean, and it had a vein in its head that went through its head that you would have to take the snail and pull the thing and get the little tiny vein, and from that vein you would take that blood, and that's how they created the purple dye. To make pur- now, how much of that, you imagine how much of that you need to make a purple shirt, to make a purple garment, to make a sash of purple, anything. It was costly. Uh, and, and they say historically that the, these snails at one point in time almost went extinct just because, not because there was so much purple dye that was needed, but it took so many snails just to make some purple dye uh, that they were almost extinct. So purple, this color purple, this purple thread that's woven into the fabric of the priestly garments is a color of royalty. And what does the Bible say? 
We are royal priesthood, right? A royal priesthood, a holy nation. I remember back in, in, the, in the day in, in the Wesleyan denomination, there was a thing called King's Kids. Remember there was a, a kids program that was called King's Kids. And the idea was that hey, you're, you're children of the king. You're children of the king. Our God, our dad, our spiritual father, our heavenly father is the king of the universe. He's the king of the universe and we belong to him. We're in his family. The Bible actually says that we've been made joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We've been ushered into the royal family. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, and so we have the purple. And then, of course, scarlet. Scarlet is the color of redemption. And it represents the blood. The blood. The scarlet color of blood. And the blood, the only thing that could wash away sins. The only thing that could atone for sins. The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. And, and historically, um, on the days of sacrifice at the tabernacle, and then also at the temple later on during the kingdom years, the amount of blood, the amount of blood that flowed the amount of blood that was shed on a day of sacrifice, and sacrifices happened every day, that it was literally a slaughterhouse. It was a slaughterhouse of epic proportions. And the writer of Hebrews tells us that there's no way that the blood of rams and bulls and goats and turtle doves could ever really wash away our sins. God allowed it for the people as a representation of what was to come just for the idea of what the Messiah would represent. He said, I'm willing to temporarily disregard your sins. It's not because there was holiness in the blood of a bull. It's because God allowed it to be a representation of what was to come. And he said, for that short time, I will allow a bull's blood to be shed and to atone for the sins that you have committed. Now, tomorrow, or when you leave the tabernacle, right, and you've got camel road rage three blocks down, you're guilty again, and more blood's got to be shed. It was never-ending. It was perpetual, the blood. And so it's woven, the color scarlet, into the priestly garments. Uh, now, they made shoulder straps for it um, and coupled it together, and it was coupled together at its two edges, and the intricately woven band of his ephod was on it, was of the same workmanship, woven of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and of fine woven linen as the Lord had commanded Moses. And they set onyx stones enclosed in settings of gold. And they were engraved as signets are engraved with the names of the sons of Israel. He put them on the shoulders of the ephod as, a memorial, as memorial stones for the sons of Israel, as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he made the breastplate artistically woven like the workmanship of the ephod of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread and of fine woven linen. They made the breastplate square by doubling it, a span its length and a span its width when doubled. Now, a span would be the, 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 the distance between the end of your pinky and the end of your thumb for a normal-sized man. So that might be a small span. <laughs> I don't have big hands, you know, big belly. If the span was a belly, it would be a big thing. Um, 
Uh, and he made the breastplate, we said that, uh, verse 9, they made the breastplate square by doubling it. A span was its length, a span its width when doubled. And they set it in four rows of stones. A row with sardius, a topaz, and an emerald was the first row. The second row, a turquoise, a sapphire, and a diamond. The third row, a jacinth, an agate, and an amethyst. The fourth row, a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. And they were enclosed in settings of gold in their mountings. There were 12 stones, according to the names of the sons of Israel, according to their names, engraved like a signet, each one its own name, according to the 12 tribes. Now, I want you to turn with me uh, to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. And there's not going to be, there's no deep, spiritual, profound thing. It, it's, well, there is, I'm sure. I just don't know what it is. <laughs> okay. Um, but, but I just find this super fascinating. And I've, 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 I've looked into this and I've, stu- I've studied this and I, I just don't know. And I've looked online and I've, <laughs> and I've looked at uh, uh, the writings of, of better men than I and I, I, I don't know. But in Revelation chapter 21, sorry. Um, Revelation chapter 21, and we go down to, I'm sorry guys, I wasn't ready here. Okay, Revelation chapter 21, starting with verse 19, it says, The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth Sardonyx, the sixth Sardius, the seventh Chrysolite, the eighth Beryl, the ninth Topaz, the tenth Chrysoprase, the eleventh Jacinth, and the twelfth Amethyst. So there's twelve foundations to the walls around the new city of Jerusalem. Each, uh, each, you know, every single wall on each side was twelve foundations, each of a precious stone. Imagine how much. And there's twelve gates going into the city of Jerusalem, 12 gates in the wall, and each gate, the Bible says, was an individual pearl. Now, what kind of clam? I mean, the gate to the city is one pearl. You know what I mean? So, that's just like a creative work. I listened to a message one time that a gemologist studied this portion of Scripture in Revelation and said that the new city of Jerusalem, as described, would not be visible to the naked eye. In other words, it's too much. That size and the way the Bible describes it, our eyes are, we couldn't even comprehend it and have a vision of it. We're going to need some new eyes, right? Going to need some new eyes. That's going to be fun. Now, and and then when you compare that to the 12 stones uh, on the breastplate for the high priest, these are the stones that they have in common. Emerald, sardius, sapphire, jacinth, Amethyst, Jasper, six. Six stones that they have in common with the 12 stones or the 12 different gemstones that make up an entire foundation of the wall for the new city of Jerusalem. Now, why is that? No, really, I'm asking. Why? There's something there. And I want to get to the bottom of it. There's, there's got, and six, it's exactly six that they have in common and six that they don't have in common. What is it? 
You know, the, 12, the, 12, the number 12 representing the 12 tribes of Israel, but also remember that 12 represents how many apostles? 12 apostles, including Paul, who was the replacement for Judas. So what is the difference here? There's got to be something. I think that's fascinating. You might be like, yeah, why don't you move on there, buddy? So we will. Uh, so verse, six, verse 15, and they made chains for the breastplate at the ends like braided cords of pure gold. They also made two settings of gold and two gold rings and put the two rings on the two ends of the breastplate and they put the two braided chains of gold in the two rings on the end of the breastplate and that's just pretty descriptive, right? And the two ends of the two braided chains they fastened in the two settings and put them on the shoulder straps of the ephod in the front and they made two rings of gold and put them on the two ends of the breastplate on the edge of it which was on the inward side of the ephod and they made two other gold rings and put them on the two shoulder straps underneath the ephod toward its front right at the seam above the intricately woven band of the ephod. <sighs> wow. That description for this breastplate. This breastplate. With the, with, so you have this woven breastplate with the stone, stone set in settings of gold. Each stone, a precious stone, 12 of them, and each one of the stones engraved on it the name of one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And now that, 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 that breastplate itself woven together of the purple and, the, and the, the scarlet and the blue and the gold and carrying the stones of the names of the tribes of Israel and then gold bands, gold chains that would go around their back and up to the shoulders and around the top to their shoulders to hold it in place so that when the priest would do the service of God and would go into the temple and offer the sacrifices, he would be bearing on his chest the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. That he would, in theory or in spirit, be bringing the entire nation before God to ask for atonement, to ask for forgiveness. And this was the work of the priest. This was the work of the priest. And the Bible says, again, we are what? A royal priesthood. A holy nation. Now, all of these things were completed in the man, Jesus Christ. All of these things. On his breastplate, he did not just carry the names of the 12 tribes of Israel, but he carried your name and my name and the name of every single human being ever who would call upon his name. And he carried us to the throne room. And the Bible says, and he sits at the right hand of the Father, what? ever to make intercession on our behalf. He is our priest forever, the Bible says in the order of Melchizedek, back from the story in Genesis with Abraham. He is our high priest, but he has called us to what? Follow in his steps. And he has called us to also be a royal priesthood. Now, you know, we may be a shabby priesthood, <laughs> And boy, we cannot ever reflect properly the real true image of Jesus Christ. And yet, he's called us to do it. And yet, he's called us to do it. Because whatever you got, whatever you got, plus the grace of God is enough. Whatever you got, how much further is it from the distance from the, 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 the street to the top of the Empire State Building or from the street to the sun? Abyss is as good as a mile, right? 
But anything that we've got with God's calling and we go and say, yes, I will go in your name, plus his grace, is enough. And he's called us to be a kingdom of priests. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, the instruction, Lord, that we can find just in the simplest details, Lord. We pray that you would expand our hearts and minds, Lord, to know these things deeper and and fuller, Lord. Uh, That you would fill our hearts with uh, just the joy uh, and, and, and the the pleasure really that comes from understanding and knowing the great love that you have for us and how all of these things that you commanded the children of Israel to do in the wilderness and with the tabernacle and with the priesthood were reflections of Jesus Christ and his ministry and his great love and your great love towards us, Father. And the love that you would have us then reflect back to you and outwardly toward to the people that you've called us to minister to in this world and in our lives. Father, we pray that you would make us proper priests, Lord, that you would, you would use us, whatever we've got, plus your grace, Lord, to make it be enough, and that you'd bring people into the kingdom, Lord, that you would help us and use us, Lord, to spread the seed, to sow the seed, to shine the light, and to be the salt, Lord, that you've called us to be in this world. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for calling us. And I pray that you bless all of my brothers and sisters here today. I pray that you would cause your face to shine upon them and to be gracious to them, Lord, and to lead them along your paths of truth and righteousness, Lord, as you guide them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thanks, guys.